0: All right. So today we are going on with week four of our Sermon on the Mount series, and we continue talking about this really important message. In fact, it is Jesus' inauguration message as the King of the incoming kingdom, letting us know what this kingdom is like. That's what we've been saying over the last three weeks, and I have discovered that we've got three chapters to get through. We are about halfway through today, and we're still kind of in the first chapter, and so we're probably not going to finish this series. uh, But there's so much in it, and it's so great. And you know, we talked about the beatitudes about how that's about flourishing. It's about being in a place close to God that allows us to flourish because the Creator's fruitfulness washes over us. And um, and so last week we talked about being salt and light, and uh, and then we spoke about this passage in Matthew five seventeen to twenty, which is about the law and how Jesus is not here to abolish the law but to fulfill it, and we're going to camp there uh, for today because there's a lot more that I think we need to discuss about that. But before we do so, I want to talk to you about a TV show I have started and might not finish um, uh, this week, uh, and it's called Snowflake Mountain. And that's what it looks like, and it is quite terrible. It's a reality show, but basically they got these 10, 19 to about 25-year-olds, and they are snowflakes. And as the show defines, snowflakes are people who have got zero resilience. They cannot face the heat of the world because they will just simply melt away. And so their parents uh, signed them up for what the kids thought, and by kids, it's inverted commas, they're like young adults, Uh, but they signed these kids up for what they thought was a resort, five-star resort um, uh, reality show i think they thought like big brother or like one of those crazy like whoa and so they packed it suitcases and it's full of like gucci prada and all that stuff they loaded it up they went there and two ex-military dudes Getting them to live and learn how to live in the wilderness, <laughs> and so Snowflake Mountain. And so, I like the concept of it, and I wanted to just see it for the laughs. And they do swear a lot, so if that's not for you, don't watch it. And some of them wear like clothes that show way too much skin, which, in my opinion, because they're snowflakes, they've not been to a gym for one day in their life, it's not pretty. Um, but you know it's it is what it is um and and i watched it because i thought the premise was funny I wanted to see what happens. And these two dudes, right, they're like, they're like blokes. They are ex-military. One of them was a demolition expert. And so if you've seen the movie Hurt Locker, that's the kind of stuff he would do. He would go and disarm um, uh, explosive devices over in Afghanistan and stuff like that. And they have a real heart for young people. And they wanted these young people and they stated to these young people, we want to, over the course of this time, teach you to stand on your own two feet. And they will also, in this show, show clips about their home life and, and, and interview the parents. And through all of this, it's hilarious. Like, the, the dudes left them in a spot, took their Jeep, and said, we're going to drive over there and we're going to meet you. It's maybe 500 metres through a little bit of bush, and they are dying. Like, they get their foot into some mud, and it's like, ah! and I can't get it out. And the guys begin to are like, I'm sorry to say this, but I thought I was going to become an amputee <laughs> because his foot was stuck in mud. It was crazy. It was so... It was, and the two guys are like kind of saying like, they should be here by now. They should be here by now. Have we made this too hard? <laughs> A 500-meter walk through some grassy, muddy land, and they were like dying, and there was all sorts of stuff that was going on, Uh, um, and, and one of the scenes that I thought was hilarious as well is that when they actually first met, they got all these guys to unpack their suitcases, they gave them a small backpack, and said, only the essentials. And one of them was like, what do you mean by the essentials? I need my compact. I need my foundation. I need this. I need this. And she was listing all the stuff as though all of that in the jungle. They were already in the wilderness. And like, I need all of this stuff. Another person said, I thought this is a resort. I only packed." Going out clothes. So you're going to see me going through the wilderness in short skirts and crop tops. I'm like, oh my Lord. <laughs> and this was kind of sad. But the sad thing for me was watching those parents in the interviews. Because these parents, some of them were single parents, but these kids had got $1,000 outfits. And they had everything that they ever needed and one of the parents said someone needs to have a hard conversation with my kid because i can't and these kids were so entitled like i have i mean it's a tv show they probably amped it up to another level but these were the most entitled kids i've ever seen and their parents created these monsters by giving them everything that they ever wanted without boundary that's what happened these snowflakes were created because there was no pressure ever placed on them by their parents they they were in their 20s with no job no prospects one of them said my life is partying all day every day i go out for a party that's my life i'm not hurting anyone so i get to do this and was like. What happens when your parents die and your money runs out what, what happens to you then and by the way uh, all the backpacks they packed and they got their suitcases into this trailer the guys actually blew it up <laughs> <laughs> and the thought for me was like there were thousands of dollars like probably in those suitcases like there could be a hundred grand worth of stuff in there and the girls started crying and I started laughing because I was like, this is hilarious. I mean, give it to me so I can sell it so that we can actually do something with it. But, you know, it was crazy. It was, it, it was absolutely crazy. But I wonder whether that is a picture of Christianity that we need to confront. Snowflake Christians. Where we think that God's grace is all to God that there is. He's a parent that gives. Gives me what I need, what I want, whenever I want. When I hit a hard patch, I pray to Him and He zaps the situation and changes it for me. And that's what faith is like, right? You know, I don't like the situation. God, you need to change this. Put your hedge of protection. There's no, by the way, the Bible never talks about hedges or protection. I don't think I found it in Genesis. And behold, on the fourth day, the Lord created a hedge, and He called it protection. <laughs> but we, we, we pray for journey mercies and speedy recoveries and uh, all sorts of stuff, which, you know, I do believe that God's a good God. And I do believe that there's healing. I do believe that there's goodness. I do believe that God does miraculous things. Um, and 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 we've got stories of that healings and breakthroughs and all of that but if faith is only about the things that i want or what makes my life more comfortable if faith is only what god is doing externally rather than what god is doing internally maybe we've forgotten what the word of god is about because when we hit the sermon on the mount snowflake christians can't read those passages you can't read blessed are the poor in spirit because they said, no, no. My theology is that I am rich in God, so I'll never be poor. You know, what about emptying yourself to allow God to fill you with what is necessary? Blessed are those who, who are pure in heart. Blessed are those, that all, all these blessings come with conditions that require us to evaluate and look at what's internal, what's inside our lives, and, and gauging whether that is in line with the kingdom. And so when we hit the passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20, where Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. By the way, <laughs> abolish uh, has a root uh, meaning of releasing. So do not think that Jesus is here to release us from the law and the prophets. Okay. This is what Jesus says: I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes even one uh, uh, one of the least of these commands and teach others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. But Jesus, I thought that entering the kingdom was based on your grace and not on my works. I thought that my Christianity was based not on what I do, but on what you have done. And because you've already done it and you've already accomplished it, I don't need to do anything, right? Yes and no. This is a really important passage for us to camp on. And jesus starts this by saying do not think and that's important because it obviously it connotates that there are people that thought that jesus uh, was uh, trying to abolish the law that jesus was trying to get rid of the law and so what's going on here what what why did uh matthew put this into the sermon on the mount what we need to remember is that matthew was a christian writing to christians he wanted people to know about Jesus as the king, as the fulfillment of the, uh, of the prophets, uh, but he also was a Jew writing to Jews. And the Jews were having this perspective when they saw what Jesus did about the Sabbaths. You remember in the, in the Gospels, Jesus would often heal on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees like, whoa, what are you doing, right? And, and, and they were like, you, 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 are, uh, uh, you must be a heathen because you do not obey our uh, Sabbath laws. And Jesus wouldn't wash his, uh, do the ceremony washing before uh, having a meal, and they're like, whoa, what is going on? And so when they saw Jesus doing what he did, they were like, Jesus is actually, trying to get rid of the law. There's actually a term for it um, uh, that is called antinomian. They thought that Jesus was antinomian. He was anti-rules and law. He was bringing in this kingdom that would not have any rules and law. That's what they thought, because they saw him breaking all their laws. And so Jesus starts by saying, do not think that my purpose here is to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. And so we need to understand what it means by uh, Jesus fulfilling the law. Um, and, And one of the things that we need to note is that one of the accusations raised against Jesus is that he had a low view of the Mosaic law. He did not care about what we call the Old Testament, which is Scripture. At that point in time when Jesus was alive, that was simply called Scripture. They had the Old Testament, and that was God's Word, and they thought that Jesus had a low view of the law, but Jesus actually was saying, I have a really high view of the law. This is so important to me that I am trying to, not trying, but I am fulfilling it. And we need to then ask what this fulfillment looks like because the question that comes from that is if Jesus fulfills it to the point where we don't have to do anything, then we don't have to do anything. Is that what Jesus meant? I think that's not what Jesus meant because he then goes on to say, until the heaven and earth passes away, these laws will continue. So has heaven and earth passed away i don't think so so he's saying that the law still pertains to us but what does it mean that jesus fulfills the law the word fulfill has the connotation of completion of filling it up filling the gaps if you will and, and one of the ways that we can understand Jesus saying that I am the fulfillment of the law is this statement is like saying, wait till Christmas morning to open your presents. That is the law. Wait till Christmas morning to open your presents. So when Christmas morning happens, you are then able to open the presents. The law has been fulfilled at that time of waiting. So Jesus is uh, fulfilling, he's, he's completing that, that statement that the time of waiting is gone. But in Jesus filling up the law, in completing the law, does it mean that we are still bound to all of the laws does it mean that we have to read the old testament and 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 practice ceremonial washing that we are not allowed to eat certain things that we are uh, you know how we how do we I love the laws that tell us about how to treat mold in the house basically you leave the house and see what happens and then if it doesn't work you condemn the house and you pull it down <laughs> if that's what happens in today's world we are all stuffed <laughs> like you know uh, we, what does it mean what what is jesus actually saying here and I think that what he is saying what we need to come back to is the Beatitudes Jesus is saying blessed are those who live according to the cultures of the kingdom according to the values and the principles of the kingdom there are boundaries that the kingdom has for us and blessed are you who lives inside of it but what i think was going on was that the pharisees and the scribes who jesus was not opposed to but he thought they were misguided they were focused on building fences And so I don't know if you heard this analogy before, but the law gave fences, and the Pharisees built fences within the fences to make sure that people would not get to those fences. And so there were 613 laws that the Old Testament gives us, and the Pharisees took that and multiplied that because they were saying, those are the fences? No, 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 we don't want to get anywhere close to them. But what the Pharisees failed to do was to teach people how to live within the fences, They taught people how to have fences, but if you have these fences around, these, imagine this room is a fence, and then the Pharisees built a fence within the fence. There is still a massive amount of room for us to live in, but the Pharisees never touched what it was like to live within the fences. And so if we have a lifestyle looking and examining fences rather than examining what kind of life I can have within the fences, we are missing the heart of the commandments. And so what Jesus is saying is that I have come to get your eyes off the fences, even though the fences are important, in order that we can understand what life is like here. And so he's saying, I'm not abolishing the fences. I'm teaching you about life here. I think that that's what he's trying to talk to us about. And that's why he says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, why does he say that? It's because they were so concerned with fences that they weren't really living. They weren't actually flourishing in a kingdom because they were thinking about all the burdens of the law. And so I think that uh, uh, Jesus was coming to correct the interpretation and interpretations that the Pharisees had made. Now, I just want to make a statement here. In the Old Testament laws, there's a whole bunch of ceremonial laws that are attached to The temple, Uh, there's a whole bunch of different things that are attached to the temple, and the Bible actually deals with, in a certain sense, a lot of them have been uh, shown that God has a different heart for it. There were certain festivals and traditions that were helpful for the Israelite nation to become, um, uh, remember, they were slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt, and God had given them the Mosaic law to become a nation. They were becoming a nation. They needed laws in order for society uh, 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 to, to, to function. And so, uh, what Jesus is coming in with, with the Sermon on the Mount, I think that what Matthew was trying to do was to try to help us to see that we are now taking those laws and transporting it and understanding it in the light of the kingdom. And so there are some of those things about the kingdom that we don't need to worry about. For example, sacrificing animals at the temple. We don't need to do that anymore because Jesus, in that fulfillment, was pointing, to, it was pointing towards Him. So there are certain things that are pointing towards Him that are dealt with, but there's lots of stuff that points to Jesus that still is given to us as a responsibility from there. So some people would say that what I'm putting forward sounds a little bit legalistic. But what I have understood and seen by legalistic a uh, 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 definition of legalism is that it, we are taking shortcuts in order to be holy. And this is something that I have been examining and studying that I'm actually really scene that maybe i've missed out a little bit on because the story of the bible isn't about you living your best life but the story of the bible is about a god who wants to live live close to us and holiness is about us living close to god And in the old testament laws were given to allow people to live close to god and then what we have in the new testament is that we actually have god living with us and then after the death and ascension of jesus we now have god living in us in the form of the holy spirit and we are needing to learn as part of the kingdom what it is like to be close to god And when we think that living close to God is about the laws, we miss the person of God. We miss the heart of God. We miss the relationship with God because we are more focused on ticking boxes. And let me give you an analogy of this in my life. In my first romantic relationship, I thought that by having a whole bunch of boundaries and living according to them would allow the relationship to work. And so we did all the right things and the relationship failed. Why? I realised this after the breakup. I never really got to know the girl. I found out all the ways to check boxes to make sure that I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't doing the right thing with her I was doing the right thing kind of like is, I was looking at fences and I wasn't living it out and I did not understand her dreams and her vision for her life and the call of God on her life because I had put all the fences in and we were going to make it work anyway and so I did my second relationship differently we had boundaries but the boundaries were there just to protect us but we didn't live at the boundaries we lived a life close by Legalism is thinking that the fences will get you close to God. Legalism is thinking that the fences perhaps are God. But what we need to understand is that the kingdom is not, an, is, is, is not a kingdom without laws. It's not a kingdom without boundaries. Because a kingdom without boundaries is a kingdom full of snowflakes. It's a kingdom full of people that will shift and change depending on the climate and the temperature of the day, where we don't understand that our lives look like holy, set-apart lives for God. And so the message of grace is that God would want to be with us. But our christian responsibility is understanding how that life is meant to look like and obeying and living it out we will come to this passage towards the end of the sermon on the mount where we have the story of the two builders one who builds on rock and one who builds on sand and what jesus says is that whoever to my listens to my words and does them not listens to my words and believes them, but actually does them, is one who is building the house on a rock. So Jesus can be speaking to you and you can say, uh-huh, I understand that. But you could still be living your life on sand that is washed away when the storm comes by. And then we'll sing songs about, you're always faithful in the storm in the shifting sand. And Jesus is like, I told you how to build your house on rock. You... We're in love with your shifting sands without boundaries. I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to bring boundary because I think that God's a God of grace. I've made so many mistakes and I love that God still loves me and wants to be in relationship with me and I can repent, I can come close to Him. But we cannot mistake God's grace for lawlessness. And so when we look at this something happens when we look at the very next passage Matthew 5 21 to 26 this is what Jesus says you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment now why did he say you have heard that it was said to those of old what he says that this is the Pharisees interpretation this is what the Pharisees would have told people you don't murder and whoever murders will be brought before judgment Which makes sense right by the way don't we love that we live in a nation that has laws if not i could kill you and get away with it so we have laws here and so it's kind of cool that the old testament says don't murder yeah agree is it legalistic to not murder no it's how we live with one another yes It would not have a lot of people if everyone was going around going, like, I feel a bit murderous today, and we just live out. out... Anyway, sorry. But Jesus was talking about the interpretation. He says, do not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And that was uh, interpretation of the law, because the law says, thou shalt not murder, that's the Ten Commandments. And then the Pharisees then went, okay, this is the judgment process. "'But this is what Jesus says, "'But I say to you that everyone who is angry "'with his brother will be liable to judgment. "'Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, "'and whoever says you fool will be liable "'to the hell of fire.'" So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with the accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you are paid the last penny. For every person that says that I'm not under law but I'm under grace, this is what grace looks like. Sometimes it's actually easier to be under law and not under grace, because law says do not murder, grace says do not be angry. Law says do not murder, grace says you go get reconciled with the person that made you angry. Now seriously, you want to live under grace? There's actually a crazier standard there, because God is not concerned so much with the boundaries as with the life within the boundaries. The boundary is the point of no return. But there's actually a life that needs to be lived that requires us to understand what is the heart of the kingdom. And so when we read this, Jesus is not so much giving us teaching about murder specifically, even though that's the example. And we will see this next week. We don't have time, but we're going to go into other aspects of life. But Jesus was trying to show the crowd, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it by teaching you how to live within the boundaries and the rules of the kingdom. And this is how you do it. You learn how to live with one another. And when we look at it through the eyes of Snowflake Christianity, and no one here is a Snowflake Christian, because you're here and you're serving and you're doing lots of stuff, and so you get it. But a Snowflake Christian will look at this passage and, and go, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? You know in the show Snowflake Mountain, most of the contestants, if you will, participants, wanted to cop out after half a day of hard slog walking 500 meters and seeing their stuff blown up. You know how they kept them in there? By telling them that there was a $50,000 prize for each of them that would be deducted by 5,000 every time someone dropped out. (laughs) So if someone drops out, everyone gets 45. Another person drops out, 40 grand. And so they all like, that's the most money I've ever seen. It's like, your suitcase, the stuff that was in your suitcase was worth like at least 100 grand. <laughs> I've never seen so much money because you never earned it. Anyway, why did I bring that up? Because <laughs> snowflakes get captured by what's in it for me. Snowflakes will read this and says, do not murder. Yeah, 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 I get that. I'm not going to hurt anyone. But it says, you're angry with someone or someone is angry to you. Go reconcile the person. But they started it. I'm not going to do that. I have every right to be angry. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not at the boundary point. I'm not going to kill them. But Jesus is saying, you have killed them in your heart. The relationship between you and that person is broken because you're not willing to reconcile. That in the kingdom is brokenness. There says, no, 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 they're Christian too. They come to me. See, snowflake Christianity is about what's in it for me. Snowflake Christianity is about what makes me feel happy and comfortable. But kingdom Christianity is understanding that we do things to maintain and build community and we'll see this in the next few sections as well this is not a black and white law jesus wasn't trying to say at what level of anger do you need to go approach the person Jesus wasn't trying to define and says, when you feel your temperature raise by 0.3 of a degree and your face gets a little bit more red, it says that you are angry. Your heart rate's elevated. That means that you need to do this, and this is how you do it. You go to the person and you say, you say sorry, and then, and then and finally everyone gets happy, and then you can bring me a sack. No, this wasn't law. Because the law sets the boundary this is about heart. It says you want to be part of my kingdom. You want to live in the blessedness of the kingdom. Then you understand that you're not in it for yourself, you're in it for the kingdom. I want you to take a moment and just think about this. Imagine if every single Christian, oh I don't whistle. Every single Christian lived by this understanding that the law about murder is the boundary, but the heart is reconciliation between relationships. The boundary is murder. I doubt any of us are gonna hit that boundary. If anyone has anything to confess, (laughs) Beck's available after the gathering. There is no confidentiality waiver here if you've murdered someone we will walk with you to the police station and we love you but you are liable for judgment you've crossed the boundary but the heart is healthy relationships and if every single person in this church understands I don't need to be worried about the boundary when I'm consistent with the heart. It changes everything. We stop being snowflakes that flitter from place to place every time someone makes us angry and hurt. But we actually learn how to sit in front of someone and say, hey, this, this is a problem and I need to face it. And today we're we're talking about that that the idea of anger and hurt next week we're going to talk about lust and we're going to talk about promises and we're going to keep going because jesus describes some of these different spheres and i think it's worth if he wanted to bring those examples let's bring those examples but today as we get ready to close this gathering Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to fill it, to to complete it, to bring it to its fullness. The law isn't able to teach you what to do every single moment of every single day. But the heart of the kingdom will instruct us in what wisdom is like, what flourishing is like, what, what, what true health on the inside is like so is it being legalistic to say that when i'm angry i need to do something about it no it is legalistic if you think that by forgiving someone is going to get you closer to god but being lawful citizens of the kingdom of heaven is saying god i know that your heart is for reconciliation and I'm struggling like heck with it right now. In fact, the fires of hell sound better than meeting this person. But by your grace, by your grace, help me to do it. Snowflakes can't take this kind of teaching. It's too, it's too hard. But let's be real. There are moments in our life where this kind of teaching is like, God, really? Just, just, just give me the 613 boundaries. The more laws that I have to obey in Australia as it is. But I think that where we are going as a church is that we are building a community that actually reflects God's kingdom. And... That requires us to examine inside. I think there are some people that will hear this and go, but I don't know how. And you want an instruction manual. Or maybe you'll go, I tried and it's still not working, so what do I do? And there's all of these grey areas and you want it to be nice and clean. I get it. But god's not a legalistic god he's not going to give you instruction manuals for every facet of your life but he's going to show you what the heart of the kingdom is and he's going to lead you to learn to love that and to live it out you know some of these while i'm doing these studies god is bringing people to (laughs) mind and it sucks Really, that person is such an idiot. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm liable for the hell of fire. Seriously, people sometimes suck. but why do you think that Jesus suffered all of that. He suffered jealousy, people being envious of him and people, you know, slandering him and taking him down. And what did he do? He showed us what the kingdom is like. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Help me to love even when I've not been loved. Help me to forgive when I'm not the one at fault. Help me to live for the community. I'm not saying be a doormat. I think there's so much wisdom in this that you need to learn to exercise. But that's what the community is for. I'm going on a bit of a tangent because I really want this to, to make to, to, to resound in your hearts. You see, we need to get away from individualistic thinking about what's in it for me, and we need to start thinking about how do I live truly in and for the community? In and for the community. You see, there's so much benefit, and we saw that yesterday when we had, I don't know, about 100 people come, uh, both volunteers and people, and I thought that the atmosphere in the room was rich. That's what community can be where we all know that we are all serving and we are all trying our best to live for God and to serve people and to take the vulnerable into our homes and do what we can. And that's a wonderful part of being in community. It enriches us. I walked away from that with a big smile on my face, feeling like I did something worthwhile and meaningful. That's what the kingdom community should be like. It should stir us on, not to get more Prada and Gucci, but to actually add souls into the kingdom. And that is meaningful. I want to get to, uh, to the... To the, to the, the I right, shouldn't call it pearly gates, but whatever those gates are. I want to meet with God, and it says, well done, good and faithful servant. Why am I good and faithful servant? It's because I have served those who have needed serving. And I have given... To those who are needy i have lived a life that is rich on the inside it doesn't matter what my circumstances are on the outside because i've done something of purpose and that's what the community is for i'm not earning my way into the kingdom by giving of my tithe and offering i'm becoming rich on the inside because i'm living in a place of flourishing that's what the church community is for but people are in the community and there will be friction and hurt there will be disappointment and wounds and jesus says, i don't think ungraciously forgive work it out when you read the words it sounds a little bit harsh but When you consider what is the opposite, and remember that the whole idea of the Beatitudes is that blessed are you, etc., etc. When you're living according to the purposes of the kingdom, when you're not living in the purposes of the kingdom, what is it? Curse. Curse. Blessedness, flourishing, or destitution. When a person doesn't forgive, they remove themselves from the community. Who's blessed and who's cursed? Does the community mourn from time to time when people leave, when they're hurt? Yes, i felt it hundreds of times. But for the person that has left, they're living in the curse. So what is the gracious thing to do? Learn to deal with the offences and the hurt. Stop being entitled. I don't mean it in any condemning sort of a way. Please hear my heart. I'm just trying to bring this passage to life because it's, I used to read it like, a, okay, yeah, fine, don't be angry. It's like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. <laughs> yes, you are. You're seething on the inside. You can't even look the person in the eye. Or you bring that up every time there's an issue. You've not dealt with it. And we've all got it. God's put someone on my mind this week and I still haven't reached out because I haven't got enough grace yet. (laughs) And I'm not there yet, but man, it's sitting there and it's sitting there and it's sitting there. (laughs) I'll give in soon. (laughs) But the whole point of it is not that God's being mean to me, He wants healing and wholeness for me he doesn't want me holding to that root of offense that will lead to greater issues so my time's up i hope that you understand that i'm not trying to give you more rules to follow but i'm trying to uncover the heart of what jesus is trying to say my kingdom is full of people that's what jesus is saying Don't think about the kingdom as heaven when we're all perfect and no sharp edges. No, no, no. His kingdom's here, and this is part of his kingdom. This is it. You're living in it. And some of these people are amazing. (laughs) And from time to time, one will rub up against you and hurt you. I will likely hurt you at some stage if you stay long enough. I preach maybe 40 times a year. There's gotta be one of them that say something you don't like, guarantee it. But this is how we experience the kingdom. When we learn to work with each other and deal with these hurts and these pains. I needed something and you pushed me away. I was vulnerable and I felt like what you did stabbed me." Let's deal with it. Let's not wait till we get to the boundary and say, I need to deal with this. Let's deal with it while we're still in the center, while we're still close to God. His grace is here with us. No music, nothing. No crutches. Let's close your eyes. I really think that there's something in this word for some people. God, I pray for every person in this room. Hurt, offense, disappointment is a usual part of our human existence, even in the church community. Perhaps even more so in the church community where We want to be vulnerable and open to each other. And so help us, God, when there are times where anger and even murderers' judgmental thoughts fill our hearts. I pray that you give each and every one of us grace to learn how to reconcile. Reconcile. I pray that as your community, that our church, we learn how to come together and deal with this issue of anger, offense, and disappointment. I pray God that we are not doing this in a legalistic way, but God, I pray that you put in our hearts a sense of what your kingdom is like and what it's for. Help us to imagine what it would be like to be in the community where, yeah, hurt happens, but gosh, we deal with it, and we are richer for it, and we are greater for it. We are bigger for it. We're more mature for it. As you say in your word, iron sharpens iron, and we know that friction is going to happen, maybe even today, maybe even over this last week, but whatever it is, God, I pray for the courage and the bonus to deal with it. And for any one of us that are struggling with it, God, I pray for your empowering grace. I thank you that it is a miracle for us to forgive. It is already a miracle that we would think about reconciliation. And I pray that we will walk out that miracle that you've put in our lives. I thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Look, I know that was hard. I think it's hard. And if anyone here is like, man, I'm really struggling and I don't know if I can do this, we'd love to stand in and pray with you. It doesn't have to be a big deal. We all get hurt at times. We all get offended at times. But we must deal with it. Thank you so much, church. Thank you for listening. Morning tea is right behind. We've treated you to this wonderful, convenient experience this morning. <laughs> But seriously, if you do one prayer, Beck and I will be here. Uh, and I do believe freedom to live in the kingdom rather than to excommunicate yourself is here. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.